think Mike Duffy called them the boys in short pants. And I they're both boys and girls because I've seen them. Women and men. Hello, this is episode 21 of The Boys in Short Pants, the 22nd episode. Uh, quieter week this time. A little, little bit. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if I could call it quieter. Um, this week alone, in like back-to-back days, or nearly back-to-back, we had the um, speech by Christia Freeland in the House, uh, charting a new path for Canadian foreign policy. We had uh, Minister Harjit Sajjan in Ottawa announce the uh, re- outcome of the defense policy review. And in fact, tomorrow, uh, which will be Friday of this week, we have Minister Bebo um, uh, effectively rolling out the results of the International Assistance Review. So these are all big projects that the department, their respective departments have been working on basically since they got so, into government. So, so yeah, so the problem here is that I'm uh, sort of like let blinking into the sunlight <laughs> out, of, out of my cave about once a week to do this podcast these days. Um, so Etienne will probably be a little better informed than I am this week, uh, but I'll do my best to, to add some color commentary where, where possible. So so the only, yeah, the only reason I raised those isn't because we're going to discuss them. I don't think um, either of us have any particular uh, like new analysis. Anytime we cover a topic, we try and see what our value add is comparative to yeah. sort of standard media. Yeah, we're very economisty like that, I guess. <laughs> it's marginal product. The important thing, and so on on these ones, I think we're mostly just going to hand it off to the traditional media, and we're going to talk about some of the sort of nicheer topics of of the week and of the month, the ones you know and love. So actually, first we'll want to start with a news update. So at the end of our last episode, uh, we were or I was discussing the Nova Scotia election because it was very clear Ken does not care about Atlantic Canada in the slightest. That's not true. They're very nice people. They are very nice people. Um. So at the time, it looked like the Nova Scotia Liberals were going into a minority situation. That did not end up happening. They want a slim majority, and they will, I think, be at a bare majority with a speaker, in the sense that they will have, like, you know... And they will have the tie-breaking vote on top of the speaker, unlike in BC, where they are still looking to find that... Uh, fill that particular job. Speaker gate continues. Yeah, that's a... Does it have to be a gate? It's not really a scandal. It's just a... Just a anyway. It's just fun to use it. In ridiculous situations. I, I think to, you, you, to satirize the media's use of it for uh, so it's elbow gate. Ironic gate. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing is uh, Madeleine Mayo's nomination as the official language commissioner, which today I it was, was the commissioner of the French language. Uh, yeah. Um, which today was either either she withdrew or she was withdrawn. It is a little unclear, as I think both have been said through official channels. Yeah, Don Martin. Uh, there haven't been that many inside insights uh, leaked. One of them uh, was Don Martin tweeted out that apparently the reasoning or the rationale behind it along with the obvious stuff, is that they anticipated she wouldn't make it through the Senate. Yeah, that seems plausible. So, needed a Senate confirmation vote, and because you have all these independent senators who have literally been appointed to their positions for their nonpartisanship, right? Uh, or at least that's the pretense of their positions, that they would not take kindly to a partisan getting appointed yeah. to a role that's supposed to be even less partisan than they are. Yeah, that's really the thing, because to sort of, on the Senate appointments, is that, like, a lot of them are kind of, like, wink and nod liberals, you know? Yes. A couple are wink and nod new Democrats, frankly. Um, and there's one former Bob Ray cabinet minister among them, 
um, right? Like it's not all. Uh, but, but at any rate, my my point there is that just like they're expected to hold to a fairly stringent standard of official nonpartisanship, and officers of parliament are held to a very strict standard of nonpartisanship because every party uses them and relies on them to be neutral arbiters of whatever their sort of sphere of competence is. So it, it looked awful to have this nomination go through. And to reiterate for people who haven't heard last week's episode. Madeleine Mao was an Ontario uh, MPP for the Liberals and also a cabinet minister. And it's not like this was an ancient history. She like just retired. Fairly, uh, fairly recently. Yeah, so like it did not pass any kind of smell test. No, I think that's the consensus. And it's nice to see that after uh, some kicking and screaming that it's been withdrawn. Yeah, but I'm like, there's one thing here that I'm surprised about is what took them so long. I mean, if they thought the Senate could... If they could push it through the yeah. Senate, then maybe they would have gone for it. It's odd, because it was such an indefensible appointment on just, like, that particular test. And I was in, you know, um, the galleries last week watching uh, Melanie Jolie defend the nomination of someone, you know, very qualified and, you know, above reproach. She's taken like. all sorts of IQ testing, this yeah. and that, psychometric <laughs> testing, or whatever the... Uh, the justification was. Yeah, it was. It's a bit odd, and then of course, this is what inevitably happens with any entrenched defense that suddenly, you know, gives way to uh, to just unceremoniously shunting the person off to obscurity. So is that that ages poorly? So but, now we'll have you know. to settle up for the second best qualified candidate. Yeah, I suppose as, so. As our language. Actually, I do want that. That would be a great line of questioning <laughs> in Parliament. It would be like. So why are you appointing the second best qualified? <laughs> <laughs> there, there were also some complaints. So apparently there's a short list, and then some people who presumptively were on the short list uh, were raising complaints. There were complaints from Acadian groups um, hoping to push it into like quasi-legal bounds of challenging the decision yeah. at a tribunal or something along these lines. Um, so it was getting messy. They've, they've cut and run from it, and... I suspect the next official languages commissioner will be the least partisan one imaginable. Hopefully, I, if they've learned the lesson. Yeah, that they'll really take it from there. Yeah, one one certainly hopes. Welcome back. Uh, we had an audio problem uh, for the first six odd minutes of that recording. It has now been fixed, uh, and the producer has been fired, as has the intern. <laughs> He'll probably be promptly rehired, because he's the only intern we can get. Uh, but there you go. Now my uh, voice should be coming across silky smooth. Yeah, much, much better. Except for the trucks going by, but not a lot we can do about that in Ottawa in the summer. Um, the next big thing we want to talk about today was uh, the SECU Committee, Security and Public Safety. I don't know what What, do, what like. do you think SECU stands I, for? I, I, I don't know. I imagine security's in the name somewhere. It is the Standing Committee on Public Safety and National Security. Oh, that was close, close. It had security in it. Um, so HECU, or HECU. Oh, nice. So SECU... <laughs> is a parliamentary committee um, that sort of convenes every now and again, calls witnesses, debates legislation, and it was the committee that I had the closest relationship to when I was in government, um, being that much of our legislation passed through this committee. That makes a certain amount of sense. Um, so I tend to keep an eye on it, and admittedly we're a little late on this, but they recently released a report entitled Protecting Canadians and Their Rights, A New Roadmap for Canada's National Security. And the sort of ostensible reason for doing this report is that in the Liberal platform, they had promised to review some key national security things, most notably uh, Bill C-51. Aitan's favorite bill. Aitan's favorite bill. And this is sort of the leg or the legislative slash parliamentary side supposedly leading up to sort of reforms of the legislation. And well, 
there, the report has um, a, a fair number of recommendations. And I'm not going to go through the report at length, but what, what I want to talk about is some of sort of the meta issues around the report. So to start the drafting of the report, just, just to start with the pettiest criticisms of all, uses phrases like groups of lone wolves, which like... I mean, I think in, in, biologists would call that a pack. Yes. <laughs> By definition, not lone wolves. And also it references... Um, the public safety's their their annual account or their annual terrorism report, which explicitly does not use the term lone wolf. Lone wolf isn't something the national oh. security like apparatus uses. They in fact use lone actors. Ah. So so just there is sort of an outside thing. This this yeah. will bring me into. Well, I mean, to be fair, Parliament is not part of the national security apparatus, and thank God for it. But uh... so this brings me into sort of the more as as a segue into a a, a more robust argument. Which is to say, and, and to sort of consider how well-placed a parliamentary committee is to recommend and advise changes to our national security apparatus, mm -hmm. particularly substantive ones, particularly like working ones around sort of the day-to-day -day jobs of some of the people and the powers that they have. And you have to ask yourself, as you look through the witness list, um, what the experience and what the perspective of the witnesses advising this committee are. And so when you go over the witness list, there's, I think, 139 witnesses or so. That's a lot of witnesses. Uh, 138. Some of them are sort of community roundtables. So there were groups of groups of 20. It took place over quite a while. Uh, but to read some of the organizations that testified, uh, let me do this in no particular order. I'll scroll to the middle. Here we have... Uh, the Communist Party of Canada. Do you know what, though? Those guys get spied on all the time, so they probably do have experience. <laughs> and then the Ling uh, de la Jeunesse Communiste, so French... So we, once again, yeah. French Communist Organization. Associate, this in French, but Association of pro, uh, Juristes Progressistes, so progressive Lawyers. jurists. Yeah, so once again, people who get spied on a lot. Um, International Civil Liberties Monitoring Group. Uh, Ling des Droits et Libertés. So, group of rights and freedoms, a whole bunch of individuals, Canadian Civil Liberties Association, Canadian Unitarians for Social Justice, yeah. National Council of Canadian Muslims, Queer Ontario, C50, uh, Stop C51 Toronto, as if there are chapters for that, uh, more individuals, Canadian Journalists for Freedom of Expression, and I go on and I go on. And now I'm hitting one that changes the theme a little bit, which is the Center for Military and Strategic Studies, University of Calgary. So a couple, a couple of professors. The point I'm trying to draw here is it's, I'd like to equate this a little bit to debates over climate change. Mm. When often the criticism with debates on climate change is that you're not representing both sides of the uh, or you're over-representing one side of the argument. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very much the case here. So, so to use the climate change model, they say, all, all these television news anchor debates, they'll put one pro-climate change and one climate change denier. And they'll paint them as sort of this, this false equality and saying that these people have two equal perspectives, let's give them equal airtime, rather than pushing one to the side and marginalizing them and saying, you know, your perspective is very much out of the mainstream. We shouldn't give time to flat earth theorists. What I, where, this, where I see the parallel in the national security debates is if, if you look through the entire list, sure, there are some from 
the security side and there's departmental officials. But what you see is disproportionately people on the outside of government, first of all, and people on the sort of civil civil liberty side of things. And there's there's two challenges there. Not not to say that they don't have, you know, uh, good perspectives to bring and important points to make. But there's a problem in terms of balancing your argument. And when you're presenting on legislation that's highly technical, where um, a lot of it is behind closed doors, a lot of what happens, the day-to-day use and how this legislation is applied, how the different powers in legislation are applied, you're going to want to hear from actual experts. And having departmental officials testify, departmental officials, say, from public safety and uh, CSIS and some of the other security organizations are all well and good, but fundamentally they can't provide opinion. Departmental officials are not, are, are, can only tow a very specific party line, and that's, that's the government line. It's right. matters of fact. Um, they answer without bias, or not without bias, but without opinion as much as they can, and any matters of opinion get deferred to the political class, to the minister, things mm-hmm. along those lines. And so what you have when you look at this witness list, and ultimately the report, is a false balance where people don't really know what they're talking about. To pull out one uh, segment from the report, the report itself quotes a law professor who had worked on uh, emergency, not emergency preparedness, but emergency response. He's the assistant professor, Bor Alaskan, faculty of law, Lakehead University. Quote, speculated that CSIS would not hesitate to carry out mass detention in a crisis situation or in the days following a terrorist attack. With everything I know and I've the reading of the legislation, this this is nonsense. This is garbage, utter garbage. It's people who have no idea what they're talking about speaking to things that they don't comprehend. And so you might be a law professor who works on civil liberty stuff in BC. You're, you're not a national security expert. You don't follow national security law. In Canada, and this takes me to my second point, in Canada, one of the things we suffer from compared to the United States is a deficiency in our numerical number of, of experts. On any given issue in Canada, I think most people would struggle, like most um, followers would struggle to name more than two or three experts in a given field, particularly ones that are vocal and would testify at committees rather than people behind the scenes. So let me give you an example of this in the national security uh, sphere. In terms of actual experts that you see appear and comment in the media, there's Forsese and Roach, who are law professors. Uh, yeah, they were big voices against C-51 when it was sort of being, you know, yeah. parliament. So they brought, they brought uh, a national security legal perspective. Forsese and Roach have never worked in government. They, uh, as to the best of my knowledge, I don't think they've ever worked in the national security apparatus, apparatus of the government of Canada. So what their assumptions are, are all strictly from the outside. Yeah. They're on the outside looking in. Whereas in the United States, you there's, have... There's a convenient blob that can sort of parrot the opinions of the national security apparatus, whatever convenient. Well, not... I, I wouldn't phrase it like that. Well, I know you would. Obviously, you're going that way. Let me, let yes. me make a more nuanced point than that, which is in the United States, because of the way the government is structured, when there's a change of government, you wipe out the top five tiers, yeah. give or take, of individuals in that organization. That is true. The senior leadership is much more political than it is in Canada. And they're all knocked out, 
And then they go on speaking gigs and they're yeah. able to talk with inside perspectives and inside expertise. Yeah. Um, generally four to eight years of experience, which is more than enough to get to know an organization and how mm. it works and its thought process. And you're able to provide a much more balanced opinion. In Canada, when you have two law professors of the same uh, political persuasion or same sort of uh, point of view working from outside, there are very, very few uh, voices and perspectives being represented. There's literally just one. Yeah. And lawyers, as has been demonstrated at the Supreme Court time and time again, differ very fundamentally on different legal interpretations. So only having two lawyers in Canada publicly interpreting national security legislation is a huge detriment to the public Yeah, we could always have more. On the other hand, like I think the U.S., to some degree, overcorrects too much in the other direction. I think that, that there's a knee-jerk reflex in the U.S. towards genuflection, towards security services. Um, and, you know, that, that instinct is, is here in, in, to some degree, but to much less degree. And certainly not among, as you pointed out, the sort of like legal experts who tend to be more civil libertarian leaning. So when I, as, as someone who's consumed a lot of media, like literally years of media on these on these subjects, there's like maybe six people who come out as the sort of television promoters on one side or the other. Mm-hmm. And most of them are outside of government. Uh, most of them... Are you in Canada or in the U.S.? In, in Canada. Okay, yeah. in, in the United Just States, the there are reams and reams yes, of experts. Lots. Binders, even. Presenting a very diverse opinion. Um, the, the one that's top of mind as I say this, I'll, I'll use Suzanne Hennessy, who's a fellow at the Brookings Institute and the editor of Lawfare Blog. She's a former NSA lawyer. Um, I believe she did her term uh, under the Obama administration. But she's phenomenal. She presents very, very interesting perspectives. There are others, uh, former NSA, former FBI, former CIA, lawyers, and policy professionals who are able to provide the other side of the coin. There isn't that in Canada. There aren't former, like, give or take, there's a couple terrible, like, one one terrible former CSIS employee. I, I won't name names. Oh, yeah, you told me about this guy. Um, who, who do this and sort of float around on their reputation of playing the I used to I used to be a spy. There's like two in Canadian media. It's it's very much a detriment to our public conversation that we don't have individuals representing the government or the uh, the security services in public. The only you, person you guys can't see right now, but I have a single tear rolling down my cheek. The only person uh, I can think of who recently has done this is uh, former director Dick Fadden. But Fadden does sort of here and there. Um, he, he'll comment. He won't get into the weeds. He'll do sort of the talk, uh, the talk shows or the the interviews every now and again. There aren't individuals doing you know lengthy analysis of Canada's national security legislation with a view to having worked there. Yeah, you should start a national security podcast. <laughs> so to to sum it all up. What you have is you have a report that makes some genuinely good um, recommendations. It, it suffers from making too many recommendations. Like when... MPs like to feel useful, man. I, I mean, that's the thing. So some of their recommendations are like, oh, you have this power? Write an annual report on that power. You have this power? Write an annual report on this one. Oh, 
you have a daycare? Let's get an oversight body for the daycare facility at, at this national security. Or like, it's it's MP, over. MPs want to have their staff go through paper <laughs> and give them notes so they can go to committees and or stand up in the house and say things that look good on TV or you know make the other parties look dumb. That's... Rather than have a tight prioritized list of recommendations, it's very much hodgepodge. It's all over the place and it's terribly unrealistic. You could say it's designed by committee, even. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, and the last point I want to make on this report, because I've sort of rambled, is uh, to put it into context in the legislative timelines here. So the report was released last month, and there are musings around the Hill that uh, the Liberals are planning to release their updates to the national security legislation in the coming weeks, just before uh, the House rises. What do you sort of what can you sort of suss out about the one month delay between the report being released and the legislation hitting the desk they're, of parliament? They're not gonna put any of the recommendations into the final product. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like too little, too late. Yeah. You can't provide a report a month before the legislation is due and expect any part of it to be integrated into the report. So I mean, this is cool, cool, I guess. Uh, I I just want to say for the the left-wing point of view that uh, civilian... No, no left-wing point of view. Civilian civilian control of the national security apparatus is the worst system except all the others that have been tried. I'm not not opposed to civilian control. I mean, I hope not. We, we haven't discussed civilian control. No, I just mean that, like, having parliamentary oversight... Like, yes, parliamentarians are goofy, and they don't really, like, have deep expertise on things. They're going to get committees that and committee witnesses that are sort of politically torqued, because that's their job, is to make things politically torqued whenever possible. I mean, like, yeah, it's not a perfect system, and it probably would be good to have a more diverse set of experts, but at the end of the day, I'd much rather have this than, you know, people getting thrown out of helicopters. So that's, that's my take. Duarte. <laughs> I don't know how he drank parallel. It's a Pinochet. Oh, yeah. I was going to. Uh, Duarte claimed to be throwing people out of I wouldn't surprise me. No, recently seems, as well. Seems so like the type. That is oh, a more also, recent reference. Also in parliamentary reports, the uh, fisheries committee uh, put one on. FOPO? The new, yeah, they put one on the, the Newfoundland fishery recently, uh, advocating for. A, uh, speaking of yearly reports, having DFO conduct a yearly review of the uh, Northern Cod and Kaplan populations off the Grand Banks. So. Uh, I wrote a big thing about fisheries yesterday, so I'm, I'm like, all up still, in my, my East Coast fishery. Still living on that. Yeah, it's good. There are, like, every now and again, for the truly nerdy people out there, it's, it's really interesting to go in and read committee testimony. Um, right now, the Senate is doing, uh, Senate Committee on Transportation and Communications, is doing a report for the government on uh, automated and connected vehicles. Ooh, I was actually going to say, there's going to be self-driving trucks. And they're trying to uh, sort of forecast the future of self-driving cars. If there's anybody who knows about the future, it's senators. Those guys are plugged in. Admittedly, they ask a little too often about how... Uh, Can I call my grandkids <laughs> from this? <laughs> they ask a little too often about how... Um, the elderly are going to be licensed on, yeah. new, on new vehicles. Hell yeah. They're, they do make constant references to, so who's going to teach me to use this <laughs> sort of questions. <laughs> but such is parliamentary democracy, I such suppose. Such is parliamentary democracy. It's, it's ruled by ordinary people and for whatever that's worth. Um, it's worth a lot, actually. I mean, it's, it's an okay system as far as things go. Anyway, um, a little update on the conservative leadership race. Uh, there's been some kerfuffle over the balloting and whether perhaps things were inappropriately uh, shifted 
in uh, away from from Bernier towards Andrew Shear. Tim knows this better than I do because I think his his people have been all abuzz about this. All abuzz. Um, so the quick version of this story is that following the successful election of Andrew Shear, um, there were things coming out of the Bernie camp. I guess complaints coming out of the Bernie camp that there had been a miscount of the ballots. Basically, the Bernie camp had this list from Sims. Sims is sort of the uh, constituency information management system. It's it's the Conservative Party database, and there was some sort of unofficial list. Uh, I don't I don't have the numbers in front of me. That was ten thousand or ten thousand four hundred or four thousand fourteen thousand uh, people. Discrepancy between that and the official count that the party gave. And the party's explanation of this was that the Sims list was like a reference. It wasn't updated. It wasn't X Y Z. And so. Not, not to get into the weeds too, too much. This complaint was made. The party said, listen, that's not the official list. You're not supposed to use that as a reference tool. Like, it's it's not a big deal. We stand by the count. Like, it was, quote, unquote, audited by Deloitte. All these other things. So that sort of kind of changed the language around that a couple times. Yeah, because it was audited. It's, it wasn't really formally audited. It was overseen. It was then audited again. Yeah, it's... Like, it's you don't, odd, you don't audit an election, really, yeah. like same day. It's o- oversight no. rather than auditing. Like yeah. a, a slip-up in language, nothing yeah. nothing more than that. Um, so you, you had sort of this festering issue, and it, it climaxed with uh, Kevin O'Leary two days ago coming out and demanding a recount. Yeah. Funny for someone who's, you know, not a candidate to demand a recount. Like, it'd be cool if I could demand a recount of, like, the liberal election from however long ago. Um, which is stupid. Um, it was nice to see Maxime Bernier come out and shut him down effectively immediately afterwards on Twitter. Yeah. And I think that's basically put it to bed. Yeah, I'm actually a Bernier truther now. I think uh, <laughs> Bernier is the real one. He's like the hidden imam. If but you're... Like, uh, uh, if you're... All our, all our Shia listeners. <laughs> hell yeah, you guys know. If your number two candidate is coming out and saying it's Don't not a, it, yeah. it's not a thing, like I'm not, I'm not worried about it, I'm going to respect the results, then that, that puts it to bed. So yeah, pretty much. Little controversy. This will like keep. I we will install him against his will as leader. This will keep uh, pundits, pundits, and also you know the conspiracy theorists in the like twelfth page of the comment sections talking for a while. I, I want talking I about want rigged a, elections and nonsense, nonsense. nonsense I want a, I want a, the next like conservative party like conference or especially after the election. I want like the libertarians start wearing uh, Bernier would have won pins. That would that'd be great. There you go. Yeah, you can feel feel the Democrats' pain on that one. That, that'd be funny. Uh, okay, so the parliamentary calendar is the last thing we want to talk about today. Yeah, so Parliament is uh, in. We got a couple weeks. A couple weeks. People are starting to wear jeans around the office. I know I am. <laughs> I felt very dumb today going to a meeting where I was like by far the most underdressed person because I totally hadn't forgotten about it went that morning and. Uh, had dressed up thinking I wasn't going to leave the office that day. So, yeah, you know, it's good. Yeah, all of all of Ottawa starts to really ramp up um, stress-wise as we get into the final two weeks. Uh, the House officially rises, I believe, on the 23rd. Um, right now, the MPs are doing midnight sittings, which means that debate continues all the way until midnight. It's which incredibly is good. Incredibly unfortunate for the MPs on what's called House Duty, which yep. is the people chained to the seats of the House of Commons on any particular night. Um... But more interestingly, you're seeing a final push by the Liberals to get through, not only get through, but also table um, a lot of their legislation. Why would you table legislation right now when you might prorogue? 
it puts it puts things in the window. Yeah, you're able to refer to it over the summer and to your summer circuit as like, listen, that this is what we're doing on that. It's kind of like the old uh, economic action plan ads that were like subject to parliamentary approval in there somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit along those lines uh, to revert back. To I, I'm very excited for conservatives to cry foul about it. About what? About the liberals doing the same thing. It's gonna be no. Crazy. This this isn't the same thing though. Um, because it's not money being no. spent on it. I'm, I'm defending the liberals here somehow. Um, yeah, you, no, you're right. It's just a similar kind of scenario, but no, it's not a, It's not like directly analogous. You're correct. Let, let me give you a better analogy, which is the conservatives in the final days of the government were still tabling legislation yeah. pre-election. And the idea was let's put out some of the you know, piece of our eventual platform. Let's put our legislation in. And then over the campaign trail, we can say, hey, listen to, what about Bill C-72, where we were going to do this and this, and if you reelect us, we'll do that again. Yeah. So over the barbecue circuit, uh, MPs, let's use the C-51 reforms as an example, MPs in ridings when they're hanging out during the summer will be able to point to this legislation rather than have a whole lot of nothing to say over for, yeah. for two, and, always half, fun. two yeah. and a half months. Yeah. Um, so as things are closing down, the Liberals are trying to push through a lot of legislation. A lot's been made about the number of pieces of substantive legislation they've got through, um, which has frankly not been very much. I'm not sure what the count's at. It was at like 18 or 19 last week. Um, with a lot of those bills, when you look through them, are pretty standard uh, housekeeping bills, as well as supply bills, uh, things for money, things to keep the government Basically, functioning. Basically, like, yeah, keeping the lights on kind of stuff. Um, there's, there's only a handful of substantive ones. We're expecting that they will get through a lot more of their lingering substantive bills before the House rises. I would also note, I, I stand to be corrected on this one, um, but the House and the Senate don't rise at the same time. Right. The, they are separate chambers. Who the knew? government yeah. is able to basically keep the senators slaving away until summer, as required, um, to pass the legislation they want passed through the Senate. So anything, they need to get it all through the House now, and then it's up to yeah. sort of the Senate to schedule themselves to get the essential pieces of legislation through um, using the government leader in the Senate. Who is? Oh, Peter Harder. Peter Harder. Peter too. Peter Harder. What? Sorry. <laughs> I really like that one. I don't, uh, know, I don't know what that's a reference to. Like, uh, you know, like any movies that it's like the same name, but then it's a verb, and then it's like... That same thing, but more, right? No, okay. okay. All right, all right, all right, sure. We'll, we'll run with that. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, no, and actually, a couple weeks ago, it must be a month and a half now, um, someone was going through his Wikipedia and changing his partisan affiliation to liberal <laughs> on everything, which is kind of funny. Someone in the House of Commons, by the way, so... Yeah, there's a, uh, a Twitter page called GC Edits yeah. um, that's linked up to the IP addresses of government, major, government major government departments yeah. and the House of Commons. And the Senate. And we'll, yeah. And we'll show um, any edits made to Wikipedia and what the edits were. It actually, it's fantastic just to go through the, the backlog of edits made from the House of Commons IP address because, like, they're so petty because it's all stuff like, you know, like, this MP received the, like, being friends with animals prize from his writings like environmental council in 2013 and just like you can tell it's like they're like okay we gotta make all the staffers say nice things about us on wikipedia like so un great unfortunately as the departments have all shifted to uh this is honestly one of the saddest things have about shifted uh, to shared services canada which is sort of the centralized it hub of the government you've lost sort of the particular department yeah uh but ones that come up on the list right now is MasterChef Australia, Series 9, ed edited anonymously from Shared Services Canada. 
Um, the Rebel Media art- article edited anonymously from House of Commons. Ooh, interesting. That's actually kind of spicy. Um, discussion. Method. Harmonized Methods of Risk Analysis edited from Shared Services Canada. Okay, so it's like probably like finance or something. But yeah, also... Um, Someone at one point, I think, did a homestar, list of Homestar Runner characters. It's probably my favorite one of all time. So, looking at the details of the Rebel Media revision, uh, it was edited from The Rebel. Uh, the Rebel Media is a Canadian conservative online political and social commentary media platform. To uh, The Rebel Media is a Canadian extreme conservative. Someone's throwing in that... Uh, Ooh, a little... Uh, that's often what it is. It's just, like, unflattering adjectives and that kind of thing, which is kind of fun. It's always little tweaks. Sometimes yeah. it's, like, commas and decimals, but yeah. there's occasionally just little jabs given at each other. It's sort of the the petty backdoors, backdoor fights of government are on Wikipedia. So, we didn't talk about this before starting, but actually there is a bit of news that happened in Parliament that is kind of inside baseball that is actually kind of fun, and it's the block is currently having like a leadership crisis probably no one has heard about this because the block doesn't really matter anymore uh but what happened is, so the current leader is martin wallet who actually sits in the assemblée nationale in the assemblée nationale in quebec city as an independent she's a former pq minister of natural resources and like mla mna rather but currently sits as an independent presumably because her partisan affiliation is not the pq anymore technically um and uh, apparently her Chief of Staff is a former constituency employee of the House Leader for the Bloc. And this person, the House, the, the former uh, parliamentary, or the former constituency assistant who is now the Chief of Staff, threatened the former interim leader, Réal Fortin, who was also an MP, to like release some like Emails. damaging leaks or yeah. something. And the Bloc, like most of the Bloc caucus, like had this like meeting yesterday uh to talk about like what they're gonna do and like condemning this person and they're making i think they would have had medicine with it come to ottawa this morning actually to talk to their caucus uh so yeah that's a uh, spicy so we'll who see they didn't rule out uh leaving the bloc quebecois to start their own caucus so so let's run rewind real quick who are the bloc quebecois everyone knows no just, I'm just, I'm just fucking come on um <laughs> But yeah, this kind of goes to show um, the block is is not in a great place. That was that was mostly a point about their irrelevance and how yes they barely make a blip in the headlines right now. Yeah, they really barely exist. Um, the thing is, I think uh, what I hear is a lot of those guys are like actually pretty decent like constituency MPs. Uh, so that's why they kind of get reelected. But what else do you have going on? I, right? Yeah. No, uh, that's that's definitely true. Uh, they are putting forward a a motion very soon, if they haven't already, on uh, recognizing Palestinian independence and statehood. So that'll be spicy and a lot of fun for uh, NDP leadership candidates. Yeah, I guess they probably get like one opposition day over probably. the course of the year. Yeah, well, maybe. it might be a PMB, like I think it's, oh, I think it's just a PMB, yeah, private member's bill, or private member's motion, I suppose, in this case. Um, PMM. Yep, so that that's that's the spicy news out of the uh, Bloc Québécois. A story that no one was following and everyone will forget immediately. Yeah, but hey, yeah, sir, that's our value add. It's all the <laughs> hill gossip you would uh, never hear about otherwise. Uh, oh, also, I feel... I, so we we have a rule now that we can't talk about the NDP leadership race um, as of a couple weeks ago because I'm working on a campaign. But I do want to make a small exception to uh, give a shout-out to our guy, the rebel gorilla, Pat Sogren. 
Pat Stogren, who has bowed out of the NDP leadership race with a, a, a video blasting the party, um, which is neither here nor there. But uh, please check out Pat Stogren's website, therevelgorilla.com or .ca, one of the two. Anyway, it's fantastic. You'll have a great time. I hope the shirts come back in stock soon. I mean, if he set out to do one thing, as stated by him, it was to set the gums of Ottawa flapping. Um, so he is, He didn't say that. He said something along those tiny lines. Sheriff, he he like, said, like... Uh, I don't it was it, something along those lines. It, yeah. it wasn't like, my goal here is to get gums flapping, but I think he said my candidacy will cause a lot of gum flapping in Ottawa. Yeah, well, it did and for about two weeks. I think he called, like, the NDP on his way out, like, Politics Incorporated. Well, and, no, like... Politics Incorporated is the whole thing, including the NDP. Okay. Just to be clear. To, to get the correct definition yeah. here of Politics I don't want to get too deep into this, because obviously I have a conflict and can't talk about it. But... Um, yeah, so, I mean... Rest in peace, Pat. Rest in peace, Pat. We we enjoyed your brief tenure and Yeah, just he's he's in the Cincinnati Zoo in the sky with other famous rebel gorillas. <laughs> Harambe. <laughs> We've not made any Harambe jokes about this yet. So no, guess, that's true. I guess, yeah, that, was, I guess really that a, was good as a closing note. An for... untapped pool. So this is kind of a short episode, I guess, this week, but uh, you'll have to forgive us, I suppose. Uh, find it in your hearts. Uh, and we'll be back next week with more. Exciting content, but before we go, we need to encourage you, of course, to uh, follow us on Twitter at ShortPantsPod, where we serve up uh, hot takes in between episodes. And instead of um, instead of asking for reviews because people are horrible at listening to that recommendation. No one. I mean, to be fair, the conversion ratio on that is awful. And then I think about like whatever I listen to podcasts. I'm like, be sure to review us on iTunes. I literally never have for any podcast. So, yeah. I have started to since. See since... now you feel their pain. I took up this podcast and was like, yeah. okay, I need to actually start reviewing things. Yeah, no, guys, again. podcasting, it's a grind, but you know what? You got to hustle. You got to just show up, do the work. I, I'm not paid to hang out with Laurent for an hour or two every week. Nah. It's horrible. That's pretty bad, yeah. Um, so instead, um, easier ask, perhaps uh, less intimate, is to just share us, uh, send a tweet on social media. Share it on Twitter. Or just tell your friends. You can you can do it on Facebook. Yeah. Or yeah. Tell your friends. Tell yeah. tell someone you bicker about politics with to make yeah. them re marginally more informed. Especially liberals, because they'll listen and get really mad. And that like honestly just like just the thought of it just tickles me. Like I love it. Yeah, that'll yeah. happen. The liberals are sort of like you know, remember the argument I was making at the start about how uh like one side of the equation isn't represented. Yeah, poor liberals. They're just not part of this tricycle, you know. They're sort of the national security uh, apparatus of, of our podcast. Our poor national security apparatus. So sadly, <laughs> so sadly undercatered to. All right, well, I think that'll do it for me. That'll do it for me as well. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, and uh, have a great week. Cheerio. We look forward to the results of the uh, UK election. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, we do.